You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. You can open up your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. would love to put one into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, this Bible is our gift to you. Take it home and read it and uh, enjoy it. We're continuing in our series called Following Him. And the people who follow Him in the New Testament, they're called disciples. And if you're here today and you've decided to follow Jesus, then you are a disciple. And the whole purpose of this of this series is to get some clarity on what does it actually mean to be a disciple? And, and what, what does it mean to actually follow him? Well, getting a definition of the word disciple uh, is helpful. To be a disciple literally means to be a learner. When Jesus had those 12 guys uh, following him around, th- those were the 12 learners. When Jesus said, you know, if you, if you turn away from me or if you, if, if you uh, put your hand to the plow and then turn back, you're not worthy to be my disciple. He's saying, you're not worthy to be my learner. And so as disciples, we, we are committed to learning from Jesus Christ. And we've, we've talked about the, the call of discipleship and the, and the cross that makes discipleship possible and the cross that we're called to take up. And today we're going to talk about the curriculum of discipleship. If we are learners, then what is it that Jesus intends for us to learn? And if you have children in public school today, the, the, the whole word curriculum has become very, very more, of, 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 of significantly more important in these days. I think, I think there's never been a time where Christians are paying more attention to the curriculum that's being taught to our children. How much more then should we as believers of Jesus Christ not just worry about the public school curriculum, let's worry about the curriculum that Jesus is trying to teach to us. And so Jesus says in John chapter 8 in verse 31... It says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You are truly my learners. Now, the fact that he says you're truly my disciples, that's insightful. There's something that we need to learn just even in that statement that if there are true disciples, truly my disciples, he says, then there are some people who are incorrectly thinking that they are disciples. If there are true disciples, then what Jesus is, is communicating there is that there are, there's such a thing as a false disciple. People who think that they're following him. People who think that they've heard the call. People who think that they are taking up their cross and following him. But Jesus says, no, there's a whole group of people who aren't truly my disciples. They might think that they are, but they aren't. Here's a couple of versions of false discipleship in our day and age. The, 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 the idea that just because I go to church means that I'm somehow following Jesus. Listen, just because you find yourself in a building uh, singing songs and listening to sermons, that doesn't mean that you are truly following him. Some, some people here today might think that because they have a, a long family tradition of Christianity going back generations, that that's what they check off on the census form, that That means that they are following Jesus. No, that's not the case. You can still be a false disciple. And other people would would say that, well, I'm following Jesus because I follow the golden rule. And I try to do unto others what what I want others to do to me. And I'm ethically um, uh, 
pure and I, I do things properly and rightly, that, that doesn't mean that you are truly his disciples. Jesus here is going to lay out three characteristics of what a true disciple is. Verse 31, he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple. So here's the first characteristic of a, of a true disciple. A true disciple abides in the word. True disciples abide in the word. You can, you can jot that down. Jesus says that's how you can know if you're a true disciple. It's how we relate to his word. And the word that Jesus uses to describe how we are to relate to his word is the word abide. It's not a word that we use a whole lot. The, the King James translates it to continue in. The NIV says to, to hold to. And what Jesus is getting at here is he's looking at uh, sort of the overall perspective of someone's entire life. How do you know if someone is truly a disciple of Jesus? Is if when they hear the word of the gospel that God loves them and sent his son to die for them and that they can receive forgiveness of their sins, that, that when someone hears the gospel, hears the word, that they continue in it, that they hold to it, that they abide in it right until the end of their life. Now, it doesn't mean that there are different times where a person stumbles forward. It doesn't mean that there are different times when a person doesn't fail to obey what the word says. But Jesus is saying that the overall path of a, of a person's life, if they are abiding in, continuing in, holding to the word, then they are truly disciples. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Notice how in verse 31 it said there were some people who believed him. And uh, they, he's talking to a group of people who were believing in him. And a, a number of times in the Gospel of John, there's a group of people, that they believe in him. But Jesus doesn't take their belief seriously because what he's thinking about is long term. You might believe what I'm saying right now. And even during the course of this very conversation, these same people who were believing in him by the end of the paragraph, are going to want to kill him. And so what we're seeing here is, is rocky path kind of soil that Jesus talks about in the parable. The seed goes there and immediately it springs up, but there's no root. There's no abiding. There's no holding on. There's no continuing. And Jesus says a true disciple holds on until the end. So it's about your whole life. But listen, your whole life is made up of individual days and individual moments. And if you're going to hold on to the Word of God and abide in the Word of God, you need to make a daily decision to get into the Word of God. And it, 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 it's, it's something that we need to be doing all of the time. Going to a church where you're sitting, in, you're sitting under teaching that is not teaching man's opinion, but is teaching the very word of God. Carving out a time in our schedule each day where we're reading God's word. But listen, reading is not abiding. You can't have abiding without reading. But just because you're reading doesn't mean that you are abiding. To be abiding in the word is to read it and then to take it with you, to hold on to it, to continue in it, not just to leave it on your desk or on your chair, but to take what you've read and apply it into our lives. And so a whole life that abides in the word is made up of a whole lot of small individual decisions. 
to hear and read God's word and then to apply it into our lives. Because true disciples abide in the word. True disciples understand what Jesus said. Man doesn't live by bread alone in Matthew 4 verse 4, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Someone who abides is someone who believes that, that I need God's word like my body needs food. I will not spiritually survive unless I'm hearing God's word preached, unless I'm reading it, and unless, unless I am actually applying it to my life. You don't get nourished by looking at food. You get nourished by eating it, by internalizing it, by metabolizing it, and having the energy from that food work out in your life in the same way your life won't be transformed and you aren't truly abiding in the word just by reading it or by hearing it. You have to internalize it. Let it abide in you as you abide in it and then let it work its way out in every area of your life. I love Colossians 3.17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's what a true disciple does. Then Jesus says, if you, if you have this, look at verse 32, he says, and you will know the truth. You will know the truth. A true disciple knows the truth. A true disciple knows the truth. You can jot that down. That's the second characteristic of what a true disciple is. And Christians don't, aren't ashamed to say that, that we know the truth. That we, we have the answers to all of the big questions of life. All of the questions that the philosophers are trying to answer. All of the questions that our novel writers and movie makers are trying to answer. All of the questions that our, that our scientists are trying to answer. Questions like, who are we? Why are we here? Where did we come from? And where are we going? All of these questions are answered in the word that Jesus gives us, and we know the truth. Now, some of these philosophers and some of these books and some of these movies and some of these scientists would say that, that truth can't truly be known, that what's true for you may not be true for me. But the simple question that you need to ask, whenever someone says, it sounds so profound, oh, it's true for you, What's, what's true for you is not true for me. So the question I ask then, so is that true for both of us? Is it true for both of us that what's true for you is different from what's true for me? I just want to be clear. And is what's true for you different from being what's true for someone else? Is that true for everyone around the whole world? Because that sounds like it's true for everyone all the time. So are you telling me that the only thing that's true is that we can't know truth? Are you telling me that the only thing we know for sure is that nothing can be known for sure? How do you know for sure that nothing can be known for sure? Jesus says, if you, if you abide in his word, you will know the truth. Truth is true for all people, at all times, in all situations. In all places. What's true is what's true. It's not just true for you, true for me. What's true is true. The truth is inescapable, unchanging, absolute, and non-contradictory. 
That's what Jesus is getting at. And this is what Jesus makes available to us. Now we also hear from our scientists and from our movie and novel writers and from our philosophers, we also hear this idea that we're just seeking truth. Everyone's just, we're just trying to figure out what the, what the truth is. The Bible paints a very different picture in Romans 1. That we're actually not seeking the truth. It in fact says we're not seeking, we're suppressing. The Bible says that all around creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, but people don't recognize it because they suppress the truth, the truth about who God is. But Jesus comes and he's come to tell us the truth, the truth about God, the truth about ourselves. And so Jesus lays down this truth to them. He says in verse 32, you will know the truth. And then he says, and the truth will set you free. So what he's saying is, you need to be set free. Now his listeners, these people who had this sort of shallow belief, this shallow agreement with what Jesus had been saying so far, They have a problem with what he says. They take issue with it. In verse 33, they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So Jesus comes. He says, listen, if you want to be my disciples, you got to abide in my word. Hold on to what I'm saying. And the good news is if you abide in my word, I'm going to set you free. And they're like, we don't need that. We already are free. In fact, we've never, ever needed freedom. Now, listen, you don't need like a PhD in Old Testament theology to understand that what they say in verse 33 is a little bit off. We've never been slaves for anyone. Um, The Egyptians... The Babylonians, oh look, there goes a Roman soldier right there. Oh look, there's, a, there's a, 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 a Roman guard tower looking down in the temple courts where we're meeting right now. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We don't need this freedom that you're talking about, Jesus. We don't need it politically. We don't need it spiritually. We're fine as we are. And that's where true disciples, that's where we see who the true disciples are. True disciples know they need Jesus and know that they need freedom. False disciples are people who are just kind of along for the ride. They don't think they really need him. They think they're doing God a favor by coming to church and doing all this. Listen, God doesn't need any favors. We need his favor. We need his grace. So they say, we don't need to be set free. Then Jesus said in verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, if you think about this audience that Jesus is listening to, they're so out of touch with reality. They've forgotten about Egypt. They've forgotten about the Babylonian exile. They can't even notice that they're under Roman military occupation, even in the most sacred of locations in the temple. They're in denial. The reality is, the truth is, that all of us go through periods where we're just in denial. We don't really realize what's going on. 
And a lot of us are in denial until that moment where we become a Christian, where we, we, we think we don't need Jesus, we're doing fine on our own, we don't see the destruction that's happening all around us and the destruction that's coming down the road, and we're in denial with regards to what's really happening. It's even, it can even happen for a believer in Jesus after they've received the truth to become enslaved to sin and be in denial about it. But Jesus says that everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin. Then in verse 35, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, the third characteristic that Jesus gives is that true disciples live in freedom. That true disciples live in freedom. A true disciple knows how badly they need that freedom, knows how easily it is to be enslaved to sin, and a true disciple knows how to live in freedom. Now, I can speak from my own experience. Because I've sat in this very chair. I've, I've stood up on this platform. And I've been enslaved to sin. And I've been in complete denial. And I know if it can happen to me, I know it can happen to all of us. And I know that what Jesus is saying here is so powerful and so profound that we really need to make sure that we're taking it to heart. And we need to come right now and hear Jesus' loving words to us and and be willing to admit, maybe I am enslaved to sin. Maybe I have been in denial. Just like these Jewish believers were in denial about their slavery. Because it's very, very easy for us to become enslaved to sin. You might be here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And you may be in denial of how sin is destroying your life. You may be here today and you are a believer in Jesus. And you are also, just like I have been, in denial about how much power sin has over your life. Have you had people who love you try to carefully, tactfully share something about your character that is sinful and you've just brushed it aside saying, well, they don't really understand. Do you have a secret habit or guilty pleasure that you haven't told anyone about and when you map out a timeline of your life, does that guilty pleasure, does that sinful behavior have a stronger hold on you right now than it did four months ago? Do you frequently miss out on opportunities to go deeper in a relationship or to further yourself in your career or in academics because you're afraid to fail? Do people in your life tiptoe around you when you're in certain moods? Do they choose their words and timing so carefully because you're like a time bomb waiting to go off? 
do aggressive actions and hurtful words come out of your mouth at seeming at the smallest little instance. When you're alone with your thoughts, is there just a, a running channel through your mind of hurtful things that people have done to you or said to you? And are you continually writing this little private screenplay of what you wish you had said or what you wish you could do or how you'd like to put those people in their place or how you'd like to get revenge? It's slavery. Whether it's bitterness or resentment, whether it's lust, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, Sin has this tendency to enslave us. And the more we find ourselves in the prison of sin, and the longer we stay there, the longer we try to convince ourselves we're not actually in a cell. The longer we convince ourselves that we can leave at any moment and we start putting pictures up on the cinder block wall and, and, and we think that the single little light bulb is actually the sun and, that, and we're in denial not realizing where we truly are. We are enslaved. And Jesus said, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Now think about what he said so far. Abide in my word, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Then he talks about slavery to sin. Why is it that it's truth that sets us free from sin? Here's why. No matter what sinful action or thought you give into, I know two things for sure. Whenever you do it, whenever it happens, I know that you're not thinking in your mind, I'm doing something bad and this will make me feel unhappy. No one ever thinks that when they're sinning. I'm doing something bad and this will make me unhappy. Why? Because we're lying to ourselves when we sin. And we need the truth. Because the truth is, when we sin, we are doing something bad. And we're doing something that will make us unhappy. Have you ever noticed how so often people go back to the same sinful habit or behavior? I know I've done it. And despite the misery and the shame and the guilt that I experienced over that, yet here I am again, delusional with the lie that it's somehow going to make me feel happy even though there is such a track record of unhappiness. It's a lie and that's why we need the truth so badly. That's why Jesus' words that the truth will set us free from slavery to sin is such an amazing statement. Truth is what sets us free because lies are what get us enslaved. Here's how, here's how temptation works. Satan hands us shackles and he says, he starts lying to us. These aren't really chains. This is an iron link charm bracelet. 
Quick, hurry, get these on your hands. Wrap them around you. I'm telling you, as soon as you have these on you, you are on the verge of freedom. It's a lie. It's a lie that we are all so prone to believe. This is how he lies to us. You're not doing something bad, you're doing something good. Now, some of us, we don't fall for that lie anymore because we know enough of God's word and we've had enough history. We know that we're doing something bad. But then he just lies to us. Okay, you're doing something bad, but you're still gonna feel good. Even though you won't, he still lies to us. Just this once. We'll just put the chains on, just really quick, just reach out your hands, and they'll be off and on as soon as you can. It's, it's just this one-time thing, just, just, just this once. You can stop anytime you want. It's a lie. You, you, you deserve this. You, you're a good person. Everything else that you do is so great. Don't let anyone give you a hard time. Just, you deserve this. It's a lie. You have no choice. Look at what's happening around you. Look at what they just said. Look at what they just did. You have no choice but to put these chains on right now. There's no other option. You can't stop yourself. I'll put these on. I know, listen, I know it's bad. Just put them on because if you don't put them on, something horrible will happen to you. That's the lie that Satan tells us when we're tempted to lie ourselves. Why do we lie? We lie to stop something horrible from happening to us. We think that in the lie, there's safety and security, and so we wrap the chains around our wrists. These are all lies that Satan tells us, and he tricks us, and he woos us, and he leads us to wrap these chains promising freedom. But once the chain is on, he changes his tune. He steps back and he says, look what you did. He invited you to sin and now he's accusing you of doing it. And then a whole other set of lies come our way and you're standing there feeling filled with guilt and shame wanting to be rescued. And Satan who put these chains on you is now telling you God will never forgive you. He can't love you after you've done that. People will reject you if you tell them what you're really going through or what you've really done. No one understands You'll never change. This is impossible. You will never be set free. This is the way it just always has to be. You've gone too far. It's too late. There's no hope. And a true disciple would never do what you just did. He lies to us to get the chains on, and he lies to us to keep them on. He's our adversary and our accuser. This is why Jesus says we need the truth. Abide in my word, he says. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then, when we start to hear God's truth, this is what happens. His truth breaks those chains. The truth is, Satan may be saying, it's impossible. God says, nothing is impossible with God. Satan says, oh, you've gone too far. It's too late. God says, let me tell you about the prodigal son and the father who ran after him. 
A God doesn't love you. A true disciple could, could never do that. Listen, listen to 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And sometimes Satan's voice can be so loud. And 1 John 2 tells us that along with the voice of Satan, we have the voice of the world speaking to us and even in our own flesh is speaking to us. And sometimes the volume can be so loud and we're not hearing God declare his truth. I love you. I want to rescue you. I want to set you free. And when that happens, when we see that Satan is lying to us, that we've been lying to ourselves, that the world has been lying to us, that truth sets those bonds free. And then the next time Satan comes along with his chain, we are now abiding in the word and we're saying, no, thank you. It doesn't mean that there aren't times of weakness where we still put our hands out and volunteer for slavery, but a true disciple learns how to say, no, that's not who I am. That's not true. Understanding how temptation comes from lies. The power to say no comes from abiding in the word, holding on to it, continuing in it, taking the word of God with you to work, with you with your family, with you when you're by yourself. Abiding in the word and knowing the truth, knowing what's really good for you and what's really bad for you, knowing what will really make you happy and what will really make you miserable, filling our minds with truth as we abide in it, replacing those lies with what is true. And that is how we are set free. In verse 35, he gives us this insurance. The assurance, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. You're a slave to sin. You're not going to remain. But you can be made a son of God through me, the son of God, and you will remain forever. Jesus is saying, I am the son of God. I'm the one who remains forever. I'm the one who has the authority to set people free. If I say I can set you free, I will set you free because I have authority to back up my words. He said, abide in my word The Son is the Word, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He says, abide in my Word. He is the Word. He says, you will know the truth. He is the truth. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when when we're abiding in His Word and knowing the truth, really we're abiding in Jesus and we're knowing Jesus. And Jesus came to tell us the truth about God. The biggest lie Satan wants to tell us that leads us into temptation and that keeps us enslaved in sin, the biggest lie that God tells us is that God doesn't love us. But if you abide in Jesus, if you know his word and his truth, what is the truth? What does God's word tell us about how he loves us? God so loved the world that he gave his son. If you want to know if God loves you, just look at his son. Look at him suffering and dying on the cross for us so that we could be set free, not just from future punishment, but from the present power of sin that it has over our lives. And the truth is what can set us free so that we're no longer slaves, but that we're made sons. But what does Jesus mean by freedom? Just imagine that as just a personal gift to you, outside in the parking lot, some generous friend of yours decided to give you a 
cherry red Ferrari Testarossa. And they said, listen, I just want you to have this car. In fact, I've closed all of Chincuzi Road and one section of the 407. I've closed McLaughlin. It's all piloned off. This is a track. It's been custom designed for all of the curves and all of the handling of this vehicle. There's some beautiful straightaways for you to, and I want you to enjoy this vehicle. And so you start riding. And you're riding on the track. Now, are you free at that point? You're riding on the track in a beautifully engineered sports car. Are you free? Because you see a hitchhiker on the track. And before you know it, Satan's riding shotgun. And he starts telling you, you know what? This track is so restrictive. Let's see what this vehicle can really do, man. Let's go up to let's go up Let's go up to Tottenham. Let's drive through a cornfield. That'd be awesome. That's a lie. Ferraris aren't made for cornfields. Let's take this down to Lake Ontario. Let's see how this baby handles underwater, you know? That's not what it's made for. It's made for the track. It's made for the course. You see, some of us think that freedom means you get to do whatever you want. Some of us have lived through doing whatever you want. That is not freedom. Freedom is on the track. Freedom is abiding in his word and knowing the truth. And it's time to get that passenger and kick him out of the vehicle. And to have Jesus take the wheel. And to stop listening to lies and to hear the truth because it's in the restriction that actually gives you freedom. It's when you actually live out and apply his word and have his way, not your way. When you actually deny yourself and start to live for him, that's when you actually experience freedom. And we're so accustomed to hearing the lies coming from our own heart and from the world and from our enemy, we somehow think that freedom means we get to do what we want to do. That's not what freedom is. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Are you hearing what he's saying today? Stop listening to the lies of this world, of your flesh, and of your enemy. You can be free. Abide in this word. Know the truth, and you will be set free. That's the curriculum of discipleship. That's what Jesus wants each and every blood-bought believer to know and to understand the freedom that he makes available through his truth and through his word. Let's bow our heads together. So God, I pray right now for the person who has been enslaved to sin and has been hiding it trying to manage it on their own, and yet it continues to grow and to grow. God, I pray that your truth would break those chains 
and God, whatever is stopping them from inviting people to pray for them or confessing to another trusted brother or sister, God, I pray that you would break that chain. And I pray that that person would live in freedom. God, I pray, I pray for those who have been in denial, who by your grace have had their eyes open today that there, there is a, an addiction or an unhealthy relationship or a pattern of behavior that is utterly sinful that has been pushed aside as no big deal, God. I pray that as their eyes have been opened to see their sin, God, I pray that they wouldn't look at their sin long, but they would look at their Savior and that they would look at the freedom that you offer. And God, I pray for the person here who hasn't chosen to follow you yet, God. I pray in Jesus' name that their eyes would be open, that they would see the freedom that you offer, God. And God, I pray for all of us that we would stop listening to lies and that we would abide in your word and that we would hear the truth and that we would be set free. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Nothing is impossible for you, God. We believe that truth this morning. Help us to live it in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.